0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. It's good to be with you. We are in this series called The Runaway. And what we're learning in this series is that we are more like Jonah than we would like to admit. Like oftentimes I think we make the story, the book of Jonah, all about this great fish and we make it all about winning arguments and can he survive and all of that. And what we're realizing is that this great fish is only mentioned about three times in the entire story, but God is mentioned all throughout the book of Jonah. And so the question that I've been asking you to wrestle with in this series is, will we allow ourselves to be consumed by the heart and mission of our great God? And that's the question we need to answer. That's the question we need to wrestle with. But if you are new here, uh, let me just kind of catch you up to speed because this is a narrative, so it builds on itself. Chapter 1, God tells Jonah to go. Jonah says no. God goes Okay, we've got, we got an issue here. So, what he does, he sends a storm into Jonah's way to try to get him to repent and turn from his stubborn ways to go to the people he's called him to go to. But Jonah continues to be more and more stubborn throughout it. And then, through a series of events, what ends up happening is the sailors who are on this boat in this storm freaking out. Jonah's like, hey, if you want things to be calm, just throw me overboard. And so these sailors throw Jonah overboard and the sea is calm. And and what's really cool is even in Jonah's disobedience, there's a revival that takes place on that boat and the sailors come to know the Lord and Jonah's plummeting to the bottom of the sea, but God sends this great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah. And that's where we end in chapter 1. Chapter 2 is kind of this psalm of Jonah. It's his prayer. It's this song of just repentance. He's praying out to the Lord. Hey, I get it. I was going my own direction, doing my own thing, going the ways that I thought I should go. I was running from you, ignoring you. The game was over for me. But God, now I'm turning my attention to you. I'm now going to respond to you. And so what we find out is at the very end, in verse 9, Jonah, uh, in this repentance, this prayer of repentance, he then ends up breaking out in this song. And he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then this big fish just throws up Jonah onto dry land. And then in chapter 3, we're going to see him starting to go toward the people of Nineveh, this word that God has given him. But before we even look into chapter 3, I do want to ask everyone a question here today. By a show of hands, how many of you right now, you have a two-year-old living in your house? A few of you, how many of you now do not have a two-year-old living at your house and you're thinking the Lord, you don't anymore, right? (laughs) Yep. See, there it is. There it is. How many of you know somebody who has a two-year-old living in their house right now? Some of you wives, you're like, does my husband count? No, he does not count. Okay. Not for this. All right. So it's safe to say that we either have had or know someone who has had a two-year-old in our house before. And the funny thing is, is I think God makes kids the cutest when they're the worst. Can I get an amen there, right? Yeah. yeah, because at two years old, they are the worst because they have learned a very important yet very powerful word, right? And we know what that word is. It's the word no. <laughs> they love to say it. I was thinking back, my kids are six, eight, and 10. And I was singing back when they were two years old and they love to say the word no. Now, what was challenging for me was they were just so cute. With their chubby little cheeks, you know, their big blue eyes, you know, just about this tall. You know, you could almost just kind of punt them if you needed to. You know, that's how small. Now, I'm not saying you should, and I'm not saying I did, all right? But, you know, the thought may have come across my mind. I didn't act on it, okay? But they would look at me, and I would tell them to do something. And they would, it was like they took in all the information. They, like, weighed the pros and cons, like, uh, really took to heart what I was saying. And then they would just stand there in defiance, and they would say, no in that very high pitched voice. And it was just, sometimes it was so hard to just not want to punish them or discipline them and say, no, you are going to do this because they look so cute. God makes kids the cutest when they're the worst. And you as a parent, if you've had a two-year-old, you know what that's like. You know that that is their favorite word. Maybe your kids are like mine. They'll be in front of the TV watching Blue's Clues or Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. I don't even know if That's still what kids watch, but we're just going to go with it. But my kids would sit there and Blue's Clues, they would be interactive. and, And my kids, they would be like, are you ready to play? And my kids would look there. No, they were not ready at all. They would play with their toys. And all I would hear them saying is, no, 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 you know. But you know what it's like your kids when they're, if they're like hungry and you're like, oh, do you want lunch? No. Do you want a snack? No. Do you want something to drink? No. And then they go, oh, wait, I mean, yes, yes. And then what do they do? They throw a fit. They cry. They have a tantrum because they realize they should have been saying yes all along, but they were saying no. See, the truth is, if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, we can end up doing the very same thing. We can end up saying no to so many things that God wants us to do. We can say no because it makes us uncomfortable. We'll say no because we're too lazy or we're going to say no because we don't want to be a part of something, whatever it is that God's calling us to do. And oftentimes we're saying no to the things we should be saying yes to. And really up to this point, that's where Jonah has been. He's been saying no to God when he should have been saying yes all along. If Jonah had said yes in chapter one, he would have saved himself a lot of stress, a lot of problems, a lot of this mess. But Jonah was acting like our two-year-old kids. And he finally responds in the right way. And the title of today's message is, Stop Saying No and Go. You gotta, I guess the subtitle could be, Stop Acting Like a Two-Year-Old, right? Because what's interesting to me is chapter three very much parallels chapter one. They start off. You can read this later for, you, for yourself if you want, but chapter three and chapter one start off, but they go two totally different. They parallel, but then they eventually break off and go two totally different directions. See, this call that Jonah was on, was it just for Jonah to go? This call to go, is it just for Old Testament prophets? This call to go, is it just for the spiritual elites? We are all called to go. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go therefore, discipling people of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. You see, as Christians, we shouldn't find it very difficult to find our purpose, because our purpose is just simply to continue Jesus's purpose. And so last week where we left off, Jonah is now fish throw up on the shore and he's covered in seaweed. His shirt's probably all stretched out. He probably smells really bad. He's probably got bleach blonde hair and a beard, but God gives him a second shot at obedience. God tells Jonah, hey, we're going to go back to where I wanted you to go in the first place. So Jonah finally stops acting like a kid, He stops being stubborn, he stops saying no, and he stops running in the wrong direction. He starts running to where God wanted him to go in the first place. So Jonah chapter three, we're gonna look at all 10 verses. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. This kind of sounds like it could be leading a bad way but he removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. Pause there for just a second because what you're seeing there is very, very powerful. A king would just not leave his throne and take off his robes. That was a sign of surrender. And so what we're seeing is this king as a sign of surrender is just surrendering to what the Lord has for him. And then in verse seven, this is what he does. He issues a proclamation and published through uh, Nineveh by decree of the king, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The Wikipedia version or the layman's version of what's been going on here right now is that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. He goes and he delivers this message. He says, hey, in 40 days, if you guys don't repent, you're toast. You're going to be overthrown. And the people hear it, and they go on a fast, and they repent. It even goes as far as the king And the king goes, hey, we're going to do this as a country. We're all going to repent. We're all going to avoid this. And so they all repent. They hear the word of the Lord, and God gives them mercy. And so in chapter 3, I want to talk to us today about when we stop saying no and we go, what God will do. And the first is, God uses us despite our past. God uses us despite our past. Look again, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I'm telling you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of God. God is a God of second chances. We said this last week. God did not give up on Jonah despite his disobedience. God did not give up on Jonah despite the fact that he ran. God wanted to do something significant in Jonah's life. And what we're going to see here in a few minutes is that we end up reading one of the greatest revivals in all of the Bible. But listen, it all started with him saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to those people. I don't want to do the thing that you're calling me to do, God. I'm not going to be obedient to you. But what we're seeing is that God is a God of second chances. God uses people despite their past. So what does it look like to be someone used by God? do you have to live this sinless life? Do you have to have your life in order and everything all presented well? No. The story of the Bible, and really the story of Jonah, is that God uses broken, messed up people to reach other broken, messed up people. God's not looking for someone who has this perfect past, who's lived this sinless life, who goes to church X amount of hours, who gives X amount of dollars, God's not looking for the person who's got it all together. And we may say, amen, I hear that, I got that. But what do we do? We disqualify ourselves. We disqualify ourselves before God can even use us. Because we can easily think, well, God can't use me. I mean, pastor, (laughs) if you knew what was in my past, if you knew the things that I did, you would understand that God cannot use me. There's no way God could ever use me because I'm too messed up. For example, maybe you're here today, and at a young age you got pregnant, and you had an abortion, and you realized that was wrong, you shouldn't have done it, but you were scared. And even today, you're still holding on to that, and you're like, I don't think God can use me. I can't move past this. I don't even feel like God could ever forgive me. And you're holding on to those things, and you think, man, I am so messed up, my past is so messy, God can't use me. Or maybe you're here today and you, just, you have a pastor just stealing things because you grew up poor. So that's the only way you could have things is if you stole things. Or maybe you stole from your work. Maybe you stole from the church. Or maybe you're here today and you have all these addictions. Maybe an addiction to drugs, alcohol, maybe pornography. And you're like, it's too messy. God can't use me. Or maybe it's the fact that you grew up in a dysfunctional home. Or maybe you're just like Jonah. You know God has a calling for your life. You know you're supposed to go somewhere. But instead, you're running the opposite direction. You're running two different sins. Whatever your story is today, when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible tells us that the old has passed away. And behold, there's a new life. You are new in Christ. And here's what God's going to do. He's going to use your story. He's going to use your past, whatever it is, because listen, he wants to build a bridge to the people he wants you to reach. You have a sphere of influence. You have people in your life. You have a story. You have a past that will be able to speak to people and you'll be able to build that bridge to bring the gospel to them. And God, we see God do this over and over again, all throughout the uh, Bible. Look at Abraham. Abraham's known as the father of our faith but he's not like a stellar dude, like he's really good and he's got it all together. No, this guy pimped out his wife multiple times. I think we could all agree one time was bad enough, but he did it multiple times. Yet he's known as the father of our faith. You got Samson. He's a guy that was set apart to do mighty things for the Lord. But he had a soft spot for the ladies. He gets a little too close to one named Delilah. And what ends up happening is she shaves his head. His power is gone. The enemies come in and gouge out his eyes. And we look at Samson, we'd be like, man, he is damaged. He is too far gone. He's too sinful. There's no way God could ever use him. But this is what's so incredible about God and his grace. He still uses Samson and does great things in his life. See, the Bible is not a book full of good stories about good people who have it all together. It's a book filled with the story of a good God who takes broken, messed up people and he uses us despite our past, despite our sins. If we would just surrender our life to him and he takes those pieces and he puts them back together and what he does is he then sends us out to go reach other broken, messed up people. God will use every detail of your story to reach other people, just like what God's doing in Jonah's life. God uses the ins and outs of Jonah's life to build a bridge to the Ninevites that he's about to go preach against. Now, you might be wondering, well, what are the ins and outs? How's God using Jonah's story? Well, Nineveh, what it means is house of the great fish. And the people of of Nineveh worship a fish god named Dagon. In fact, I brought a picture of it right here. That's who the people of Nineveh worshiped. So just think about how crazy this, how awesome this is. God's like, hey, Jonah, you're looking like, smelling like you've been in a fish for a while. So I'm going to use you. I'm going to use your story, the ins and outs of that story. And I'm going to send you to Nineveh. These people who worship this mermaid fish kind of guy over here. And I'm going to use you to go reach them so they could be introduced to me, the one true living God. And Jonah shows up on the scene, looking like, smelling like a fish. And he goes, hey, people, if you don't repent, that you're going to be toast. You're going to be overthrown. And I bet you the people of Nineveh were like, okay, I'm listening to this fish guy over here. Like, he gets it. He smells like it. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. See, God uses every detail of our past to get the gospel to other people. He's going to use the crazy things about our story to reach people, and that's what he's doing in Jonah's life. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and he immediately went. Jonah doesn't waste time, and he obeys God. Here's the second thing God saves us so we can be sent. God saves us so we can be sent. Now, I like to imagine Jonah here. He's heading towards Nineveh, and he's probably thinking, man, what am I going to say to these people? Like, they don't like me. I'm not particularly fond of them, but I'm going to obey the Lord right now. I'm going to walk there. They're probably going to kill me. If I even get a word out, that'll be amazing. But what am I going to say to them? And so I like to think, as he's walking up to the city, he's probably running through sermons that he's had before. And he's probably thinking, well, do I just tell him something that'll make him happy? Because I think most Christians and pastors might do that, but he doesn't do that. He might think, well, their lives are empty, so maybe I'll talk to him about how their lives are empty, but God can bring fulfillment to their lives and and give them everything that they need. Or he's like, maybe I'll give them three steps to a better life with the Lord. But he doesn't do any of that. And what what I like to imagine is Jonah's walking up, and the dust is probably all swirling all over the place. It's kind of like a Western scene, right? Wah, 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 you know? It's kind of how he's walking up and people with tattoos and mean faces and guns coming out of the saloon, like, who's this guy? He's coming out. And I like to imagine Jonah, he's probably scared to death. There's probably a little shakiness. His voice probably cracked a little bit. He's a little nervous to give this message. But what I love is Jonah doesn't give his opinions. Jonah doesn't give his own thoughts on what to say. He shares what God has told him to say. And with eight words in English, five words in Hebrew, he says this in verse four, a very direct and offensive message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now this word overthrown has two different meanings to it. Be like if I just said a bar, you might think, well, a bar, a bar has multiple meanings. Is it a bar of soap, a bar where you get a drink, is it a crowbar, a gold bar? Like, what do you mean a bar? This word overthrown has multiple meanings. And one of, it's one of two things. It can mean overthrown and destroyed, or it could be overthrown and changed. The message Jonah gives these people is you can either be destroyed or you could be forever changed. The choice is yours. Which is it going to be? But I want you to notice that time is ticking with the mercy of God. You need to understand that God's mercy is a limited time offer. You do not have forever. You're not even promised tomorrow. And see, what's easy is we could easily come in here today and we could think, well, you know what? I'll get my life together first. I'll get everything lined up. You know, I'll, then I'll come back and I'll come to the Lord and I'll say, look, Lord, look what I did. I got it all together. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised forever. The mercy of God is a limited time offer for the people of Nineveh. It was 40 days and you'll be destroyed or 40 days and you'll be forever changed. What's it gonna be? Tick-tock, tick-tock. Jonah was willing to share God's message and God's truth even when it was uncomfortable because Jonah was saved to be sent. Jonah stopped running from the people that God wanted him to run to. And when he finally stopped running and he went to the people of Nineveh, he preached the truth. Verse five is the effect. The people of Nineveh believed God. I love that. They believed God. They didn't believe Jonah. They didn't put Jonah on the pedestal. They didn't make Jonah the new God to worship. They believed in the one true living God. Even just as a side note, I will say this. Anytime I'm up here preaching, or we have another pastor, or if you listen to another pastor, don't just believe everything they say. Guess what you should do? Take it back to God's word. Test it through that. Listen, if you want to know some commentaries, I'll tell you a few that'll be very helpful, that'll make things easy for you to understand. But listen, don't just believe the person, believe God. And when they believed God, the city was over, it was completely changed. In the same way, God will tell us to go to our Nineveh to share the good news, the gospel with everybody we come in contact with. Listen, God's word will not work unless the people of God step up. And when we step up and step out, that's when God steps in. And he'll do great things in our lives and in our city. But listen, it all starts with us being willing to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, of who he is. And that he is still a God who has mercy, grace, forgiveness, love, compassion. But time is ticking and he's waiting for us to repent. But let me tell you something. We have to share the truth even when it's uncomfortable. Now, there are times when I'm up here and I've got to teach certain passages or look through certain texts that I just like to pretend don't exist. It'd be super easy to always just come in here and kind of feel like a motivational speaker and say what everybody wants to hear and make it happy and all of that. But I would be doing you a disservice. I wouldn't be teaching you the whole whole counsel of God's word. And so there are times when I have to come up here and I can feel the weight of the message and the truth that needs to be shared. And listen, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable having a lot of faces look at you while you share some things but I got to share the truth. And the same is true for all of us here today. We have to share the truth even when it's uncomfortable. Remember, Jonah's walking into this city and a guy like him with a message like this isn't going to be received real well. It'd be kind of like today if God asked us to go to ISIS and say, hey, go preach to ISIS. And we walk up there and say, hey, repent in 40 days or you're going to be overthrown. You think we're going to be welcomed? You think that's going to be the most exciting news? No, but that's like what Jonah's walking into. Now, while we may not be called to go to those kinds of extremes, the call to go, just like with Matthew 28, is a call for all of us. We're all called to go. Go to our family, go to our friends, go to our neighborhoods, go to our schools, go to our workplace. This call to go is for all of us. But here's the challenge. No matter how gently you share the truth of God's word with people, it's not going to be received as the most exciting and comforting news they will ever hear. Because when we have to tell people, hey, we are all sinners and we're all separated from God, that being a good enough person isn't going to get you right with the Father, that being a good enough person isn't going to get you into heaven, that your sins have separated you. You can't balance bad things, good things, you know, that you can't just believe your truth and I'll believe my truth. and Because in the end, all roads lead to God. No, we have to share them the truth that we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all chosen sin. We're not a victim of sin. It's nobody's fault. We all chose sin. And because we chose this sin, God, we are forever separated from God. But God had a plan. God's plan was to reconcile us, bring us back to that right relationship with the Father. Amen. And through the blood of Jesus, because of his um, life that we couldn't live, the death that we should have died. And because he's alive, now we can be alive in Christ. And because of that truth, because of the blood in Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, then we have that right relationship because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. When we share that truth, listen, people aren't going to be like, tell me more. (laughs) You're not going to be received as this person where it's like, tell me more about how bad of a person I am and there's nothing I can do. We have to share this truth that's countercultural and it's going to be uncomfortable. But I will tell you that sometimes it's the uncomfortable truths that lead people to act. This week, I was reading about hurricanes, and uh, I was finding out like how do they get people to evacuate? How, how is this possible? How do they get people to leave and understand the danger of it? And a lot of research has been put into this, And so there are some people who will always stay behind when a hurricane is coming. They just don't want to leave their house. They don't want to leave what's going on. And so they're trying to figure out what's the most effective way to present people with the truth that if they stay there, it's not going to be okay. They're not going to be safe. And so what I was reading originally, I was like, man, aren't they already doing enough? Like, I mean, it's on TV, it's on radio, uh, they use social media, like, aren't they doing enough to get the word? And they were actually saying that's the least effective way to get people to move. The most effective way to get people to move out when the hurricane is coming is to confront them with the truth about how serious the situation is going to be. In fact, in Florida, what they did when they heard people were hanging back and, and hanging there in Florida, what they did was they went door to door with the people who were staying and handed out Sharpies. And they said, hey, would you write your name on your arm in Sharpie and your social security number so that when we're gathering up the bodies, we know who you are. They said, uh, another state was like, hey, they started handing out toe tags to everybody. And they were like, hey, put this on if you're going to stay back. Because we want to be able to know who to contact for the funeral arrangements. The single most effective way to get people to act is to confront them with the truth. That if you stay here, it's not going to be okay. See, sometimes as followers of Jesus, we need to communicate to the world around us the truth Hey, if you stay here, it's not going to be okay. If you continue to believe that you can have whatever truth you want to have, that being a good enough person will get you into heaven, that you could give so much or you could serve so much or have the good outweigh the bad. If you believe that all roads lead to God, that Jesus dying on the cross was pointless, that you don't need the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. If you believe those things, you're not going to be okay. See, sometimes we've got to go across enemy lines and say, it's not going to be okay if you stay here. We need to get out there and share the truth even when it's uncomfortable. Now listen, I'm not telling you that you've got to be a jerk about it. I'm not telling you you've got to yell and scream and fight about it. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not even saying you've got to water down the gospel. You don't need to do that. you just got to share the truth and present God's love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness because we are saved to be sent. And then here's our last thought. God does the supernatural when we do the natural. Look at verse eight. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his, from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Jonah goes across enemy lines. He shares the truth with the Ninevites, and they put on this sackcloth, which, if you want to think of it, it's kind of like this material made out of goat hair, and so it'd make you really, really itchy. It was made out of burlap, so if you ever did potato sack races as a kid, that's the kind of material that they would wear for their clothes, And they would wear this, and they would be miserable as they wore this. And as they were wearing this, what they were saying is, I'm not worthy to wear normal clothes. And they would ache, and it was this continual reminder, this physical reminder of their sins. And then they fasted, which was just a way of showing humility, repentance, and this desire to hear from God. And they urgently called on God, not Dagon, but the one true living God, and they gave up their evil ways. And then in verse 10, the greatest revival in the Bible takes place because God hears them and God spares them. I'll talk to many people about the book of Jonah and they think one of the greatest miracles in the entire book is the fact that Jonah survived this being eaten by this great fish. But I would say the greatest miracle in the entire book of Jonah is the fact that this entire city got turned upside down when they heard the truth of God's word. Really, verses 5 through 10 would have been some of the most difficult, life-altering, jaw-dropping news anybody would have ever heard. They would have opened up the Ninevite times, and they would have seen that Nineveh has been completely changed. And they had been like, are you kidding me? Like, that town? Those people? That's crazy. There's no way this could happen. I mean, this is how crazy it'd be. Like today, it'd be like hearing that Howard Stern is no longer doing his radio show that way, however way he's doing it, but he's doing, he's turning out a Christian radio show. He's talking about sexual purity. It's like Tom Cruise, not jumping on a couch, talking about who knows what, but talking about Jesus. And it's an evangelist. It's like Snoop Dogg becoming a, a rapper for Jesus, putting out gospel albums, It's like the streets of Las Vegas, no longer having casinos on it, but all the casinos now turning into churches. That's how big, that's how huge this spiritual awakening was. And it all was, was Jonah doing the natural and God doing the supernatural. If you're a believer here today, what I want you to do is I want you to think for just a minute about someone in your life that you think, there's no way they're ever going to be a Christian. It may even make you laugh out loud when you think about that person being saved. You're like, there's just no way. There's no way that could happen. They're too hardened. They're too addicted. They're too intellectual. They're too cynical. They're too whatever. But listen, God is in the business of changing lives. God changed a man named Saul who was too intellectual, too hardened, too zealous, God got a hold of his heart, and not only did he change his life, he changed his name. And Paul went on to write most of the New Testament. We're reading here, the city of Nineveh was too far gone, too far from God, wanted nothing to do with it, didn't even worship God. Worshiped this merman guy. And they're too far gone, but what does God do? He gets a hold of the city, and he turns it upside down. The gospel is the only message that has the power to save and redeem people. But here's the challenge. We have to take risks to do everything in our natural abilities to share the good news with people that God has put in our lives. And when we pray for these people, when we share our story, when we share the gospel, not like a bunch of jerks, but what God has done in our lives, we can watch God do the supernatural. may not happen overnight, like with the Ninevites, but continue to pray. Continue to share and watch God work. See, Jonah comes out and he's preaching fire to these people. And they were the furthest from God, but they turned to God. And there's some of you here today. Right now, you're far from God. And on the inside, you know that you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your personal Lord and Savior. I think it's easy for us to go, well, my grandparents or my parents, or we're saved, so I'm good. Or you know what? I'm living here in the South where there's a church everywhere, so I'm good to go. I could just inherit in that salvation. No, that's not how it works. You have to have a personal relationship with the Lord. So today, let your heart break, just like the, the hearts of the Ninevites. Repent and turn to Jesus. Know that the clock is ticking. You are not promised tomorrow. See, I love how chapter 3 opens up. Verse 1, God shows Jonah grace. Verse 10, God shows the Ninevites grace. And today, I believe God wants to show you grace. When God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil ways, God had compassion. He didn't bring the destruction that he threatened. God gave them a second chance. But it all started with repentance. And for all of us here today, That's maybe where it needs to start, with repentance. Repenting of our self-centeredness, our materialistic drive, for our ungodliness, for our sins. We need to repent. And when we repent, we need to take up our cross and follow Jesus. See, the cross is an instrument of death. And so for some of us, We've allowed certain things into our lives to come into our lives. And so today, we just need to pick up our cross and die to ourselves, die to our sins. Or maybe for you, you just need to die today for the very first time and experience new life in Christ. Listen, God is gonna come a second time. God is willing to give a second chance. But it all starts with repentance. And repentance just means having a change of mind. You were going one direction, but now you're going to go a new direction. Stop running to those sins. Run to the Lord and watch what he will do in your life. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash mystory.